Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. And Christian, today, our Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie blend of the month marches on. We're taking the beach and Paris? Not in Paris. Somewhere in France. We're sure taking the beach, though. <laughs> Because it's time for Edge of Tomorrow. Yes, it is. It is indeed time for Edge of Tomorrow, a movie that I am coming to for the first time, but that you have seen before, Scott. Incredible. I'm excited to discuss this with you because you are a first timer. And yes, I've been a fan, although I haven't seen it for a while. It is a movie that came out my senior year of high school. So for our older listeners, don't mean to date you there, but... It is, I know I saw it around that time. I honestly can't remember if I saw it in theaters or if I saw it with friends once it was rentable or on Redbox or something, but I have been a fan, although it has been a few years since I've seen it, so definitely glad to return to it. For you, Christian, coming to it for the first time, what was your, I guess, perception of the movie? Because I feel like I've heard different things about Edge of Tomorrow. Some people consider it sort of an underseen gem, although it did make some good money at the box office. Some people can consider it just kind of a sort of mediocre Tom Cruise movie. So what was your perception of it? When I had seen the trailers for Edge of Tomorrow, it, I don't I don't know what this is about me. I wasn't looking forward to it. And, and maybe that's why I didn't seek it out in theaters. Maybe that's why I haven't sought it out since it came out. Uh, the, the only thing that I knew about it was the time loop element of it. That being said, everyone whom I've spoken to who in, has seen this movie really enjoys it. Therefore, I'm, I came into it finally watching it thinking this is a movie that despite not maybe not getting the widespread viewing, many people really, really like to, to an above normal status. Yeah, it's definitely, I feel like among common folks like us, it definitely has a good reputation. And it is strangely underseen. And I do say strangely because it it made over $370 million back when it was released in 2014. But it was made on a huge budget. The budget, according to Wikipedia, is $178 million. So when you factor in marketing costs and some of those extra costs that add up on the back end, who knows if this movie even made back that much more than its budget. And Tom Cruise, of course, is Mr. Consistency. He's bringing in hundreds of million dollars every time he puts a movie out. But even so, as far as the margins go, not exactly a box office smash by his standards. Now... I, I kind of just want to head straight into talking background information. Scott, would you like to recap the 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 plot, and then I'll talk about the heavy hitters? I sure would. So, Edge of Tomorrow does, of course, star Tom Cruise as Major William Cage, who is a press official for the Army in the year 2020. Crazy when that was in the future. In a time when aliens have invaded Earth. And this alien force is winning battle after battle, and crews and other army officials try to spin the news positively to make sure morale stays up. He mouths off to the wrong person, a general, and ends up in combat with a demotion to private, and dies in a battle where they are storming the beach somewhere in France. And strangely, he wakes up the same day that he landed at this base. And he discovers that no matter how many times he dies, he continues to wake up at the base on 
the day before this failed invasion. So he has to figure out what is happening to him and how he could possibly help them turn the tides of the war. The major players are not just Tom Cruise. He is co-leading this with Emily Blunt, playing Sergeant Rita Bratoski, which is a who, who is uh, also a soldier who has been in this time loop before. So not for this specific day, but has actually lived through a time loop herself, which I think is a very interesting twist on the formula. And also directed by Doug Lyman. Now, Doug Lyman is... Um, has honestly made a lot of things that I think people have seen, such as Mr. and Mrs. Smith, The Born Identity, uh, what's American Made, which is another Tom Cruise movie with him, and of course, written by Christopher McQuarrie, Jez Butterworth, and John Henry Butterworth. I wanted to ask, we've already, we've, we've kind of talked Tom Cruise last week as to our relationship with him, but do you have any relationship to either Doug Lyman or Emily Blunt? So... For Doug Lyman, I, I honestly hadn't realized just how prolific he's been. He made his uh, he made a, a film in 1994, although I, I don't know just how many people have seen it. It's a very small deal. And then broke out with Swingers, which he made with Jon Favreau and Vince Vaughn, which is a movie that I've seen. That was 1996. But since then, he's directed quite a few movies, everything from big action movies to smaller comedies, and has worked in television as well. He's been very active, but he's honestly not someone I... You know, I, I I guess I don't think about him too much, only because he's had such a, a varying career, and usually when I'm watching one of his movies, it's not because Doug Lyman's the director. Although there are movies of his that I haven't seen that I want to see, like, still haven't seen Mr. and Mrs. Smith, would love to watch that eventually. But when I watched The Bourne Identity, it wasn't necessarily because he was the, rec- the director, it's because I wanted to see The Bourne movies. And when I watched <laughs> Jumper, you remember Jumper, Christian? <laughs> I've never seen Jumper. Oh, man. Uh, when I watched Jumper, because I was a stupid child in 2008, I wanted to see Hayden Christensen because he was the star of that movie post-Star Wars. And Jumper is a famous failure, <laughs> box office bomb. But I'm not normally going to these movies because of him. So I'm curious to get into you know your thoughts on his, his role here in Edge of Tomorrow. In terms of Emily Blunt, definitely a fan of hers, although I am unfortunately not... I haven't really tracked with her for her old career. Uh, Her big breakout movie was, of course, The Devil Wears Prada, which is one that I still haven't seen, unfortunately. And I like a lot of the stuff that I've seen that she's in. So this movie is definitely one of my early encounters with her. But I love her in Sicario and in some of the other movies she's made since Edge of Tomorrow. So I would consider myself a fan of hers and, and, you know, maybe a fan of Lyman's as well. But I don't have too strong a connection to either of them. Uh, Where do you stand with the, the two of them? I have no connection to Doug Lyman. I have heard of several of his movies. I have seen none of them except for this one now. Emily Blunt. I do like her in Double Wears Prada. I do like her in Sicario. I I really, really enjoyed her performance in A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place Part 2. So, um, and apparently she was in Into the Woods, a movie that I know I've seen and remember very little about. <laughs> so, I, I, it's, it's again, minimal connections to the, to them, but they, they're prolific in what they do. That they are. And if there's anything I can appreciate about Emily Blunt, I think even just in the couple of movies that you've mentioned, we have Edge of Tomorrow, this big action movie, Devil Wears Prada, this 
I, I don't know the best way to describe it because I haven't seen it, of course, but comedy with Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway, sort of these dueling boss and assistant. And we have Into the Woods, and she played Mary Poppins in Mary Poppins Returns. She's done musical roles. She's really done just about every type of movie, even dipping into horror with, obviously, A Quiet Place. Although, you know, depending on who you are, you may not consider those out-and-out horror movies, but she's extremely versatile. So she's had a really cool career, and obviously she's still making big movies even with having a quiet place part two recently as well as jungle cruise with the rock last year and she's going to be Catherine oppenheimer in christopher nolan's oppenheimer movie coming out in 2023 so doesn't seem like she's going anywhere anytime soon and uh, definitely glad for you to now catch up with her in edge of tomorrow given that scott let's let's jump in let's do it your opening question edge of tomorrow draws on the familiar time loop premise, but unlike some of the other time loop movies, even ones that we've seen for this show, where the intent is to figure out how to get out of the time loop, the intent isn't that. They know how to get out of the time loop. Now they need to use it for their advantage. Does this screenwriting trick of not needing to get out of the time loop help Edge of Tomorrow propel the story forward? I think that screenwriting trick totally helps propel the story forward. I think it's a very fun twist on the formula, and obviously, you know, we, we've discussed some time loop movies on the show before. We talked about Palm Springs previously, which is a fun one. And when the trope is is executed well, it can really lift up whatever genre a movie's in. Uh, of course, the original Groundhog Day is more of a romantic comedy in some aspects, but Palm Springs, definitely a rom-com. Something like... Source Code with Jake Gyllenhaal also playing with this time loop trick. It's more of an action thriller kind of deal. So when this trope is done well, it really can help. And I think the story of Edge of Tomorrow is, in some aspects, the, it might be the draw, but it just leads you to not only great action sequences, but also, honestly, some comedy as they find weirder and crazier ways of killing off Tom Cruise's character. So... I would say the trope is handled really well here, not just in getting us to relive this this particular action scene over and over throughout the movie as they continually storm the beach, but also leading to some some poignant moments between Cruz and and Blunt. So I would say the particular time loop trope is handled really well here, but your take on the movie might make or break with it because that that conceit is so important to it. So I am curious to turn the question around, Christian, and, and know what you think about the the structure here does the time loop propel it forward for you where it worked for me okay so if you are wondering i really really enjoyed this movie like i think this movie's phenomenal and does does the screenwriting trick work for me it does and i don't think i would have understood it until i saw it in action most time loop movies are like what do we need to do and now i am i I, i've never seen groundhog day and i i apologize for that sure we gotta fix that christian well, I'm, I mean, when you do your time loop blend of the month, sir, I'm waiting for it. You <laughs> might just have to do it next month. We'll see. Next month we're off. So, no, you will not do it next month. I need sleep. <laughs> no, but the what what does come to mind with, with it all is they need to get out of it. They need to find the cure. They, um, Palm Springs, how do you discover what physics is to get out? Um, there are several Christmas movies where they're stuck in like a Christmas Eve thing. And I don't know if they're all Hallmark <laughs> movies or just Netflix original Christmas movies. But the trick is how to get out of Christmas. 
Um, and it's kind of fascinating to to see that here they can get out anytime they want, really. It, it's, I mean, they don't discuss it that much, but they could. Instead, it's how do we use the time loop while we have it to win this war that is threatening humanity? And as they go into so many different parts of it, we're in a lot of different areas and not areas where a time loop normally would be in. It's it's wonderful and so captivating how they're bridging this and also forging the relationship between Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt because he has been forging this relationship with her for, I don't know, hundreds of days, maybe years, and she is getting to know him for the first time every single day. Yeah, it's it. That is a, a common case with these movies, of course. Fi- finding a way to build the relationship between your main characters when one of them essentially has their memory reset <laughs> every single day. And I think they there are some ways where they handle it well. There are a couple moments that don't work quite as well for me, and I guess we'll see your thoughts on that too. But one thing you did point out that I think is a, uh, something maybe unique to this movie, at least in what I've seen from other timelet movies, is that. Like you said, they don't actually want to break the time loop. Whereas so many other time loop movies are devoted to the protagonist's goal of getting out of the loop or finding a way to sort of break through the the pit of depression they inevitably hit with the futility of starting a day over and over and over again. It is kind of fun to see that the goal here is to die. It's to start over again and again and again and find a way forward. And this is motivated by the plot, of course. The The reasoning for the time loop is a little bit of... It's it's a very uh, big exposition scene partway into the movie once Cruz meets up, or we, we can call him, you know, Cage. Once Cage meets up with Rita Vertasky on the base before the assault on the beach, she tells him, yeah, I've been through this before, and you need to wait until you get these visions, because these visions will reveal where basically the, the alien's central being is located. We have to kill the Omega alien, and then we can win the war. And it's a big expo dump, of course, but... It's done well enough and, you know, early enough in the movie that once you kind of get the trick, you're in. And it's it's fun to see the ways that they kill off crews, but also where you can start to see they're slowly making progress and finding a way forward. It, it's it, not quite like a puzzle to figure out, but it's fun. It's a fun execution of the trope. With, with that, and, and we should talk more about this. Actually, let me let me go into this. Because we didn't talk a ton about Christopher McQuarrie last week, even though we talked about the script. Look at Top Gun Maverick and look at this movie. Where do you see similarities? I'm glad that you asked this question, Christian, because I've been thinking about that. I've been trying to think about, you know, what what is it about Edge of Tomorrow that made Tom Cruise want to do it? What is it about this particular movie? And I, I'm not sure how much of this comes from McQuarrie as well, because the... The two of them started working together a little bit before Edge of Tomorrow. The first collaboration they had, if I'm, uh, if I am correct, is probably on. Oh yeah, it's on Valkyrie, which is uh, <laughs> a bit of a controversial movie. I believe Tom Cruise plays like a good German officer during World War II, like a Nazi trying to end the Nazi situation. So, not not great, but <laughs> it's Cruise starred, Macquarie wrote. So. In 2008, they've been working together for a few years, and I think the one, if there's something that McQuarrie contributed to this that Tom Cruise was drawn to, it was the the doggedness, the determination for William Cage to 
commit himself to dying over and over and over again to figure out the way forward and a way to win the war. Because if there's anything that I would associate with a, a Tom Cruise character, it is that quality, that never-say-die, never-give-up quality, whether he's playing a lawyer trying to bring a general to justice and a few good men, or he's playing super-secret agent Ethan Hunt, who will do literally anything to save the day. Cruz is... he has that quality about him where he is so driven as an actor that he can't help but bring it to his characters. And I think Macquarie understands that, and that is a consistent theme in the movies that they work on be they mission impossible or something else so that's what i picked up on did, did you pick up on anything different i agree with that it's it's also interesting and i i feel like he i feel that Cruz was able to release some more of his acting chops in this movie than in top gun maverick because i feel like maverick he's I don't know, going full movie star mode and here it, it's he he's kind of a not jerk honestly he's kind of pathetic at the beginning and as you write this out the i honestly think this is an incredibly written action script because the action is propelling his character development it's through him fighting these aliens again and again and again and learning that he has to die again and again and again that we see the development of his character. And I, I will say that as Christopher McQuarrie writes, he wants action to develop people's characters. How does Maverick get all of the Top Gun graduates to understand that the movie is capable? By stealing a plane and doing the mission. Oh, Here, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Here, how do they... How does he manage to get Rita to believe him or to understand that he's in a time loop? By going through the entire thing, killing all of the aliens and showing this like prior memory through a pretty cool action sequence and the relationship gets better, the better that he's able to dodge enemy attacks and like, you know, kill aliens. So it, it's so well infused that action equates to character growth. That that development is one of the more interesting parts about Edge of Tomorrow, the, the specifically the character development of William Cage because he starts the movie out in a very un-Tom Cruise place where he is presented as a, a basically a, a sh like a sniveling jerk like he is a, a press official and he's on TV all the time but he has never fought in a battle he tells General Brigham who's played by Brennan Gleason early on in the movie that he's a, he only joined up because he had an advertising firm that went under once the aliens invaded and he was granted his rank because of what he does he's never seen action and the general tries to get him to go document this invasion to of course build morale for the people following along and rooting for the troops at home and he tries to get out of it because he doesn't even want to be near a battlefield and of course that's what lands him in the position of being forced to go and <laughs> demoted down to a private and we see this this jerk who tried to weasel his way out of his duty and of course try to blackmail the general that's what gets him in trouble weasel his way out of his duty into the position where he is an absolute badass on the battlefield helped by of course they're rocking these exoskeletons these amazing robotic suits so he and emily blunt are running around shooting aliens and fighting them like giant robot arm punches and he at one point wastes one with an 
like a fire axe basically that he like picked up from one of the places they escaped to as they try to leave the battle and go find the source of the aliens. He really does become the Tom Cruise action star. And it's fun to watch a movie where he doesn't start in that place. He doesn't start as Ethan Hunt or Jack Reacher or Pete Mitchell. You know, he becomes the action hero, which is really fun for a modern day Tom Cruise performance. Which I do want to say, acting wise, I think he's very strong in going from pathetic to understanding the gravity of the situation to becoming action star. So given that he's playing opposite Emily Blunt, what are your thoughts on her? Okay, look, I thought she was great, man. I think Emily Blunt rocked this. She is so confident. She is so poised. She is so fierce. She lets out vulnerability only in small amounts in order to understand that her hardness is something that had to be developed from her time in the time loop. And I think that as she's doing so, as the cadence in her voice can change from that, as she... um, when she does the what's the the yoga pose, which is the way that we see her every time he meets her. If there's any iconic shot from this movie, it's when he first comes in and finds her on this shooting range training area where she is holding herself up in a plank position, but with her body completely horizontal, her legs held up off the ground. It's incredibly impressive, and it's really Emily Blunt doing that. It's not just like a stand-in or stunt woman or something like that. It's, yeah, an impressive move. So, give. I, I mean, she's so commanding as a presence. What are your thoughts on her? I mean, she's awesome here. Like, this this character is so cool. Uh, Rita Vertasky, a.k.a. the full metal bitch, as people keep calling her throughout the movie. Because we, f- we learn early on that she is the hero of this previous battle, one of humanity's only victories against these aliens, who we should say at this point, they're called the Mimics. So, humans only victory against the Mimics. And she's rocking a sword out on the battlefield, this giant metal sword. And her squad mates have skulls spray painted onto their helmets. Like, it's it's pretty cool to see her fighting early on. But then as she and Cruz begin their adventure and, and start connecting day by day by day by day as he keeps dying, we do get to see some of that vulnerability as well. And she is as believable as a a vulnerable human being, as she is a completely badass action star. I think she's awesome here. I also think it's pretty great in when she and Cruz start training, she doesn't hesitate to kill him when she thinks that they need a redo. (laughs) Like, she'll just grab a knife and stab him or shoot him or make him fall. I mean, there... And she is meeting him for the first time every time loop. So this is a woman who's like, all right, cool, let's kill and and it's it's so awesome also to see that that the time loop is really benefiting her choosing what level of vulnerability to to show or or what it does take to make her realize that that she uh, well is beginning to form strong feelings for Cruz's character for Cage and also that how she's been through a lot honestly how she has been through a lot in this war. How she has seen uh, someone she cares about die so many times in the time loop. And when she left the time loop, she still couldn't stop him from dying. So it's it's incredible to to put all of that together in her. Yeah, there's a there's a one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Honestly, 
is not one of the action scenes, but it's, I don't know if it's halfway through the movie, but uh, we're well on the way to trying to find the aliens. Cruz gets these visions, and he discovers that the alien Omega is hidden somewhere in Germany. So they're on the way to go find it, and he and Rita escape from the battle at the beach and get to this farmhouse where he's telling her all of the things they already know are there. And she's like, how'd you find coffee? And he winks at her, you know, he knows where the coffee is. They've been here before. And they actually get to connect as individuals. And that's where she shares, or he, he says something about, you know, you told me about Hendrix and I'll figure out who Hendrix is one day. And she says, you know, don't bring that name up. And eventually she tells him, you know, that Hendrix is a, former friend of mine who she got when she got trapped in this time loop had to watch him or her what whoever it is watch Hendrix die over and over again she says 300 times watch this person die and knowing that no matter how many times she repeated the day that she couldn't save them and it's this genuinely touching moment in this time loop action movie about killing aliens where you get to see the strengths of, of Blunt and Cruz as performers it, there's not a lot of slow quiet poignant moving moments like that but they stand out when you get them and i think that's honestly what makes that farmhouse scene one of the best in the movie the i i enjoy that farmhouse element as well because we think every time the time loop resets or we see it reset we think that the next scene is the first time that tom cruise is encountering that and so a cool screenwriting trick that they've done is it doesn't have to be totally agree Given that, I do want to move on to the action scenes. And I also noted down on our outline that I wanted to talk about the design of the aliens. Because I think that the design of the aliens and how they attack have led to some pretty unique action sequences for what we get, for what Cage and Fritowski are doing. But what are your thoughts on on them? Honestly, I I find the mimics to be one of the less compelling aspects of the movie, and it's it's fine. It it you didn't really need the most amazing creature design in history for the for Edge of Tomorrow to be a success, but there there's some aspects to them that are cool and that they're they're kind of cat-like. They run around on all fours and they're very fast and dangerous in that regard, but the design is kind of CGI goopy. They're they're like a <laughs> Uh, a bunch of tentacles and tendrils all swirled together in the shape of these aliens. And it's it's not that cool to look at, honestly. You know, CGI has done us far dirtier since then, so I'm not going to complain too much because it's just kind of mediocre for me. Uh, I, I do think the, the idea of a sort of hive mind race of aliens who have... Uh, the ability to manipulate time because we've we come to learn that the time loop is actually something the aliens take advantage of as well not just vertaski or cage i think that aspect is, is cool as well uh, and and surely also comes from the original source because this is actually adapted from a japanese novel called all you need is kill by hiroshi sakurazaka so definitely cool on sakurazaka's part and for whatever else the, the filmmakers took as they you know created this design I, I think they did the best they could but what do you think do they stand out more to you i do and i do like the design but i think i'm more so like how the cgi is working because it feels like as they move, they're they're shooting at less frames per second. It feels like their tentacles or or their legs or whatever it is that they have as they go from place to place. It's almost like there's a pause. There's like a jerkiness to them moving, 
and to understand that the reason spoiler alert cool <laughs> to understand that the reason that uh they are that that cage and Bratowski had this time loop essence to them is because of the blood of them which means that these aliens can do something with time to have them be jerky almost as though they're not operating at the same frames per second as the rest of us I honestly think complements the script very well and so in that and seeing that be part of the attack and that being part of the design this world seems very well fleshed out to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, I, 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 it's not something that works particularly well for me, but, you know, just like for you, better mileage. And it's not something that I think is actually a huge negative aspect of the movie. It's it's just not really working too much in its favor, if that makes sense, listeners. That's about all that I have for Edge of Tomorrow. Are there any last-minute things that you don't think we touched on? Uh, I do want to say there is one other major actor in this movie who we get frustratingly little of, in my opinion, and that's Bill Paxton, who uh, shows up early on playing Sergeant Farrell, who is the the guy in, in command of Cage's squad that he gets put on after he is demoted to private, and he gets to repeat the, this great very stereotypical military man speech about how the fires of battle grant rebirth to the the soldiers who enter no matter how you came in which of course is a little bit cheesy hokey military speak but also ties in with the themes of the movie of course as cage is reborn over and over and over again until he becomes this person we've been talking about and paxton unfortunately disappears from the movie as we get more invested in what cage and vertaski are doing and trying to solve the time loop and find the aliens but i think he's great in a, a small role it's definitely a part that could have been played by just about anybody but by getting him to do it that guy sticks in your memory so much more i had a, a fun fact i was going to share too christian unless you had something else on your mind uh just that i love him in titanic <laughs> again uh, a small part that you probably remember more because it's bill paxton crushing it as opposed to just some random person that james cameron could have pulled in from the streets all right my fun fact here i picked up on this myself and i'm proud of it uh listening to a different podcast about this movie confirmed it of course but i was proud to notice it myself of course groundhog day is the movie that a lot of these time loop style movies are iterating on and i did notice that of course Tom Cruise is playing William Cage, a.k.a. Bill Cage, and the star of Groundhog Day is Bill Murray. And Emily Blunt is playing Sergeant Rita Vertasky, and of course Rita is the name of Andy McDowell's character in Groundhog Day. She's the romantic lead there. So a little bit of a nod to Groundhog Day in a way that's not, not too intrusive. It's not like a weird Easter egg in this completely different movie, but just a fun way of, of throwing a wink out to the idea that or the movie that potentially inspired this idea amazing now that concludes our discussion on edge of tomorrow which i got from the library i don't know if you did you rent it or get it from the library rented from the good people at amazon that's where i was able to watch this i'm sure there are good people at amazon somewhere <laughs> but i also say that knowing that i ordered something from there today for the free two-day shipping anyway <laughs> of given course. that yeah, yeah yes 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 Given that, um, next week, we will be discussing Mission Impossible Fallout. 
Oh, baby, Christian. I'm so excited to talk Fallout. It is my favorite Mission Impossible movie, so I can't wait to watch it again. What is your familiarity with the Mission Impossible franchise, Christian? Of course, multiple Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise collaborations there, and we'll finally get to talk about McQuarrie as a director. So are you familiar with these movies, or are you coming to them for the first time as well? I've seen the first one, the first half of the second one, and Rogue Nation. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> So uh, who knows? Maybe maybe I'll watch all of them for Fallout. Oh, you absolutely should. Uh, yeah, a lot of great directors have worked on this franchise, uh, Christopher McQuarrie included. So definitely a fun franchise. And I, it's one that I think gets better with age. So looking forward to talking about Fallout, the most recent movie. And up until Top Gun Maverick, Tom Cruise's most recent movie. He hadn't released anything in theaters in over four years, thanks to COVID. So It'll be good to discuss that next week. Where is it streaming for the folks who are looking for it? It's streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Now, I understand several of you may not have Paramount+. Plus. That being said, you can get it from your local library. You can rent it on Amazon uh, or Apple or other spots on uh, online. And uh, other Mission Impossible entries, if you want to catch up or want to watch those instead, are available. Mission Impossible 1, 2, and Ghost Protocol, I believe, are on Netflix. 3 is on Showtime. And Rogue Nation and Fallout are on Paramount Plus and FX Now with a subscription. There you go. So be sure to check out not only Fallout, but any other Mission Impossible movie that you'd like to watch, folks. It's a really great franchise, in my opinion, so I'm excited to discuss it next week. Now, Christian, we've been, or I guess for listeners of the show, for people who've been following along for a while, they know that we've been doing some different things with our fourth episodes of every month. Doing, we call them bonus episodes. They're not really bonus, of course. They're part of the main show, but just doing different things that are inspired by the theme of the month, whether that would be a top five list or uh, something else. And so what we have coming up at the end of this month is not a top five list. And I'm actually kind of excited about this idea. I think it's pretty original. So Christian, it's of course your idea as you're curating this month for us, go ahead and explain to the listeners what's coming up the final week of June. So we've been looking at the collaboration between Tom Cruise and Chris- Christopher McQuarrie. So someone in front of the camera and someone behind the camera. So I want to have us come up with our own, um, who do we like that's this kind of a pairing? Someone behind the camera and in front of the camera that has created movies. And I want to give at least a three three movie collaboration between them. So the same number of movies that we have in a blend of the month that has inspired that for us. I want us to bring those... Uh, I want to call them seasonal drinks because every time these two individuals collaborate, it's a good season of life for us. And I want to share them with each other and determine whether or not this seasonal drink has the cinema drip stamp of approval. And so it's kind of a streaming recommendations episode. It's But they don't need to be streaming. Just based on what you like and what you've seen, who do you look forward to their next project coming up next? And I'll give an example of... Um, who isn't eligible, but Greta Gerwig has worked twice with Saoirse Ronan, and you have loved both of those movies. So if they came out Indeed with the I third have. one, yeah, if they came out with a third one, she would be eligible here. Freaking Saoirse, not going to be in Barbie coming out next year, which is uh, disappointing to say the least, but what can you do? <laughs> 
I, I'm looking forward to this because obviously movies are an art form as much as they are sometimes a business. And we see all kinds of collaborations all over Hollywood, whether it's actors and directors, writers and directors, writers and actors. But we're specifically looking at actors and behind the scenes folks. So it'll be fun to, to study some of these collaborations and talk about them later this month. So just to key you folks in, if you're looking for some supplemental viewing as we go through our Tom Cruise and McQuarrie blend, keep your eyes out for some of those famous cinematic pairings. And if you have one that you want to share, you can go ahead and send that to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. That is our email for the show. It's where we collect listener feedback and incorporate your ideas into the show. And we'd love to feel free to shout out your famous pairings that you'd like us to talk about on that episode, which will be coming up again at the end of the month. Of course. Oh, sorry, Christian. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, try to make it so that these two people are still alive so that there's the possibility that we get another project from them. <laughs> Even if none is on the books right now. Fingers crossed, yes. <laughs> We're looking at more modern pairings. Obviously, the the aim of this show is usually, although we do we have made some dalliances back to the 70s occasionally. We are typically looking at more modern movies because we're two young, dumb movie fans. So all of your more active pairings would be nice to look at so we can comment on some of these, uh, these pairs so we can see what they have coming up or we can get excited about any potential future collaborations. And with that, that is our show. Of course, if you're still here, still listening along, thank you so much for being here, listeners. We love watching these movies and sharing our discussions with you. It means a lot that there's folks out there listening along. There are a few things that you can do to support the podcast, but number one, give us a subscribe and a like or a rating or whatever you can, wherever you get your podcasts. Helps us reach new listeners on those platforms, and we love to shout out the new reviews that we get as they come in. So go ahead and leave us a five-star review and a rating, because of course my ego was so very fragile, and I need it to keep me from lying awake at night, wondering where I've gone wrong in my life. Christian is more, he's, he's more even-keeled than me. He'll be fine, but I need it, listeners, so go ahead and give us a great review. You can also, like I said, send us an email to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Not just your thoughts on the pairings that we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks, but also your ideas for future blends of the month, movies that you'd like our thoughts on on the show, and we can work out the blend from there, or just some feedback in general. would love to know what's working for you guys, and we honestly want to make shows that people want to listen to. So please do send your thoughts, if you have them, to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter and Christian on Instagram and follow the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? I think it'd be so funny next week or in two weeks if you're like Christian, but the James Stewart, Alfred Hitchcock collaborations are incredible. And I'm like, Scott, they're both dead. I mean, they're rope, <laughs> rear window, vertigo. Shoot, is the he a rope? I haven't actually seen rope. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart and Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, it's a it's a great cinematic pairing. What can we say? Gene Kelly and, and I think, uh, is it Stanley Donnan? Maybe. There's, there's some all-time great pairings from the past. But, yeah, we'll be talking about more recent ones. And I do want to say, you because you mentioned this briefly, Christian. This last thing I'll say, and then we'll peace out of here, listeners. Thanks for sticking around for the PS at the end of the show. But we will be maintaining our normal summer break. So, 
That will be the month of July if you're listening along. We'll, of course, keep folks in the loop, but we normally take a couple of weeks off just to recuperate, watch some movies on our own time. And then we will be back with our top five movies of the year so far and into our August blend of the month. Sound, sound about right, Christian? Awesome. So there's that little PS for you. Thanks for listening. If you're still listening, we appreciate you. Until next time, I hope you wake up and it's a new day tomorrow and you're not stuck repeating the same day over and over again. And this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>